Welcome back. It's Jeff Mayhew. It's John Beatty. It's Politics and Parenting, where we talk about politics, but we talk about it differently. John, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, you know what? We had our first Madisonian Republican meeting yesterday, didn't we? First or third? I think we've been going, we're on a, oh. it was a three-peat, if you will. That's right. That's right. Our third Madison, even more exciting, right? Our third Madisonian Republican meeting. How do you think that went? I think it went really well. And I think it was one of the best things about it was that we're, you know, we're talking about power. We're talking about representation. We're talking about trying to repair our republic. And we were gifted uh, something by the president this past week that really just kind of fit into that where everything is so broken. And that's this loan forgiveness, this federal loan forgiveness where I guess anyone with a with a loan and doesn't make up to a certain amount of income is it gets a couple ten thousand dollars knocked off their federal loans, and you and I've had been having an interesting conversation about the role of federal power and how do you what was our founders design in checking that that sort of executive power, Um, and we had a really nice discussion yesterday about that because and you know I think it's kind of a cross party issue of. Who is responsible for making those decisions and who's responsible for reining in perhaps imprudent, perhaps bad decisions? Um, I mean, you pointed to Ham- uh, Federalist Number 70, uh, written by Hamilton, that talks about the executive. And, I, you know, I, one thing we talked about yesterday was really that there needs to be an executive when you've got some kind of organization supposed to do something. And I think we all agree that government um, is given the authority by the people that it should do something, do good to other people, do good to our country. And um, one of the challenges with that is that when the executive uh, encroaches on people's liberty, when it kind of goes beyond that, the duties that were granted to it by the people, that's when we get into trouble. So, I don't. What were your thoughts on, on what what, you, what someone might do in order to rein in a, a reckless executive? A reckless executive. Well, I mean, so. Well, let's let's step out and let's think about the executive from a different point of view, right? Like, what is the executive's purpose? And um, you brought up Federalist Number Seventy. Um, so, like, what were they saying? Like, why do they want one? Well, energy in the executive is a leading character in the definition of good government. It is essential to the protection of the community against foreign attacks. It is not less essential to less essential to the steady admiration of the laws to the protection of property against those irregular and high-handed combinations, and sometimes against those interrupt the ordinary course of justice, to, to the security of liberty against enterprises and assaults of ambition, of faction, and of anarchy. And so what is he saying? We want a strong executive to keep us safe, right? Mm-hmm. We want them to protect us from foreign attacks. We want them, uh, we want to divest that power into a single individual so in times of crisis, we can have a nimble authority over us. Um, that was kind of the idea. They pulled that from like the Roman structure where some of the Roman members would become dictators for a brief amount of time and rule over times of crises. So if, if that's the purpose of our executive, I'm not sure where canceling debt falls in. You know, like, I don't know if we're in a time of crises where you can justify that, um, especially from a financial standpoint for for these people and what this specific thing does, because it's $10,000. It's like well, it's, and it's, it's a trillion dollars in a for the whole country. Yeah, and, and, and exactly. But for each individual, you know, it's not, 
it's not life-changing to an entire class of people or something. It's just it's $10,000 that they kind of owe and they should be required to pay back. Um, you know, and if you think of the, the executive from that point of view, it's hard to find any type of justification for doing something like this. What do you think? Oh, I completely agree. And I, I mean, you and I probably have different perspectives on college debt and such. I, I mean, I went to college, I took out some loans. Um, I specifically decided to graduate in three years so that I could take out as few loans as possible. And I picked a career that I knew I could uh, pay them back. And uh, I know you're a small business owner that never took out college loans. And so I think you probably are probably a little bit more miffed about this. But, um, you know, this isn't bad blood on this. And I think we've, we've got different sides on this. But it's definitely, it's not in the purview of the executive to just wash away uh, all this debt that people took under certain conditions. And I, you know, that our, our current executive has been tweeting and saying, well, this person took uh, PPP loans. And so therefore, that uh, means that they can't complain at all about re uh, forgiving student loans. And, uh, you know, that's such a different context. It's such a different agreement that was made, made to that. Um, you know, as much as they were called PPP loans, really, they were a that was the mechanism in order to get money to people that needed it to run their companies uh, during a an interesting situation. I mean, like, these are if you go um, to college and you sign up to take a loan, you understand that you're going to have to pay this back. You understand that it's not dischargeable, which is an interesting decision that Senator Biden made uh, decades ago, as someone pointed out. Um, so yeah. I mean, like you, you have, you know, kind of what you're getting into. And I think uh, you had mentioned yesterday that it's a little bit of a failure of parents in order to guide their children's to something that uh, a not getting them into a situation where they're going to be so in debt and be trying to help their kids make good decisions at such an age when they don't have the, the, the practical wisdom to, to really make a life altering decision of, uh, t taking out $80,000 in, in debt that they can well, never get rid of. And that, and that, and that's, you know, that's like kind of the big picture here is, you know, what I talk about all the time is I relate government and politics or excuse me, politics and parenting, because one is it's like an authoritarian power structure, right? Um, or just a power structure in general. And the government is the parent and the, uh, people are the children in this scenario. And you can't keep on bailing out your kids. Like, and you also need to give them better guidance. Um, if you give your kids proper guidance, you won't need to bail them out. If you don't give them proper guidance, you probably should let them learn from their mistake as opposed to bailing them out and teaching them that that's okay. Mm -hmm. And I think that applies in this situation where you, you don't make this relatively minor bailout for the, the individual. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have a big enough impact. Um, and, and if it did, it's unjust and on average. Else, imagine, imagine being the the uh, the the older sibling that paid his college debt off, and now mom and dad have paid off the younger siblings. Is that fair? Like that's the first thing you go to mom and dad and say, right? It's like, hey, whoa, you made me pay for everything, and then you just like picked up the tab for him. And mom and dad might be like, well, we really wanted to pay for yours, but we weren't doing as well back then because we had you know more daycare to pay for, and we were able to save, so we were able to help your brother out, and not you. But I don't think that applies here because mom and dad are not doing so good. There's a huge national debt. I don't think that we should just be wiping out individuals' debt <laughs> for that reason. But uh, mm -hmm. what do you uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I mean, I come from a large family, and I know my parents' financial situation when I went to college, uh, I think 15 years ago at this point, is much different from my siblings going to college this this autumn. And uh, you know, I don't begrudge my parents for 
being in a different financial situation for them being able to perhaps help more for my siblings. But um, again, they were very clear from the upfront. They said, if you wanted to go to college, you're going to have to pay for it. They were willing to help co-sign the loans and I'm grateful for that. But I think that um, they were very uh, practical in what they thought of. And my mom specifically was very much uh, encouraging me strongly to pick careers that wouldn't saddle me with lots of, of college debt and would provide be able to allow me to provide for my family later on and um, and I you know I, one of those thoughts was uh, that was arguments against that was well you got to go and you got to go to college and read these great books and I think my life has been a testament that that's not the case because going to school studying computer science is you know it's a vocational skill it's a very technical skill. Um, and it's, it's, uh, done really well for me, but it's given me the flexibility and the freedom to actually spend more time on reading books that I want to read in the time that I want to. And, you know, like, I think that's, uh, born in this project right here where I'm able to, uh, spend time reading the Federalist Papers and have discussions on it that I could have had in college perhaps, but I, I think I would have been, uh, more immature and, uh, I certainly would not have done the reading as well. Um, if I had done it at all, as, at all, as, as many college students, uh, uh, I know that they don't, you know, we, we're not always as well prepared as we, we like to think. Um, and I know I was I'm definitely in that camp in college. So I think pick, taking a different path than many people take uh, was better. Um, and, you know, well, and, and that goes back to focus, right? Mm -hmm. Like your parents kind of instilled a focus in you, like they gave you a purpose and a plan and you just kind of went through it and, and, and helped you out. And that goes back to where is the focus in our country? Where is the focus from the top of the leadership? Like, where are we going? We're telling kids to go to college and rack up all this debt, but then we're telling kids that they don't have to pay the debt off. It's like, because it, it was unfair. It was an unjust system. And it's like, okay, what are you doing to fix the system? What are you doing to fix this problem other than just pretending like it's going to go away? Have you seen, uh, what was it, the, uh, the book, the movie that was about the Dunkirk? Dunkirk, they're sitting in a boat yeah, and they're waiting to get rescued and then the German sniper keeps shooting holes in the boat and then they got one guy <laughs> patches the one hole uh, and then patches another and they've, they've patched enough holes. But at some point, the, the the boat just keeps leaking and leaking and it drowns. And I think, as you're pointing out, like that's the, this current um, college situation our country is in right now. We've we're, we're not fixing the debt problem. We're trying to poke, a, uh, fill a hole in there where um, people are stuck with degrees that can't pay for the loans they've taken out. Um, and you're right. that the I think one of the, the things that were was interesting to me in Federalist 70 was the idea of the executive as being one person making decisions. And um, the reason you want an executive to make decisions is because they've got to, they, they can't hide behind those decisions. But I think... If you kind of break that out, um, that's to contrast with sort of a board. If you've got like a board that's supposed to make decisions, it's easy for people to get to hide behind sort of the votes of the board or say, well, the board made this decision. And I mean, I see that on the school board, the board makes decisions that I don't agree with. And I kind of stuck with those. Whereas um, the way our system really is designed is you've got the executive that can kind of go out there, um, follow the, the rules that are in place. And I think this whole debt cancellation doesn't really follow those rules, but you need uh, some kind of someone to set those rules. And I think that's really our problem here is everyone can kind of see that that the this whole the the bloat in our higher education is causing issues. 
Um, but we don't have a well, legislature that's willing to to look at the rules and to change them. Maybe it's to make college loan debt dischargeable, where you can file bankruptcy, or there's some kind of mechanism to actually um, relieve pressure on that, to refinance it, whatever. But we're stuck with the system that was built 30 years ago um, with a different, whole, totally different economy. And no one in our legislature wants to actually look at those problems and solve them. And that that kind of gives the executive leeway to uh, be radical and to um, make terrible decisions. Well, so you, you, you mentioned something there about, um, you know, what the kind of what the role of the executive on the domestic side, which is it's kind of like the CEO. They just kind of facilitate the business. They like are supposed to kind of just rubber stamp things and veto things that are, you know, not good. And it, it re- I just read uh, internal improvements. Uh, Madison wrote it. It was a veto message that he wrote in March of 1817. And he's vetoing this. He has he is electioned on or talked about having improvements among the roads and all these different things. And Congress sent him this bill, but it wasn't up to his standards. He felt it unconstitutional. He felt they should have rewritten it differently. It didn't uh, it didn't come under the he couldn't understand how the power to regulate commerce among the several states applied to this um, and, and or the provide for the common defense or general welfare, which we hear a lot. Right. And so he vetoed this. He was very like constitutional. He's like, look, this is the purpose of it. You have to do set, follow these rules. My job is to enforce these rules. But now you talk about where the, the other branches don't really do anything. And now it's the executive has this leeway, as you put it, I would call it a, <laughs> a lot of extra power mm-hmm. to write these. Look, it's you think that this this debt cancellation is going to go through the Supreme Court is going to swipe it down. They're going to swipe it down, right? I mean, you I would so? hope so. I, I think it's it's a total okay, overreach. Okay, so, so let's let you could probably well, let's as, like as he did. He, this is the problem. Lawyers are so good at finding words and twisting them, and so he technically well, has some small legal standing with some weird act from two thousand three. Well, so and but that was the point I was going to make. Is let's say it's swiped down it's still significant because somebody's going to use that this whatever dissent is written for it in the supreme court and they're going to use that for the next try mm-hmm. and they're just going to keep on doing this over and over again until they get what they want and even if they know they the administration whoever is trying to come up with these ideas are aware that oh we probably can't get it through this is a conservative court they're definitely going to swipe this down but next time so they write it a certain way Right. They they write it in this very specific language so they can use that language for the next bill that they present, just like you were talking about how they're pulling this off of an old bill or or what the, you said, 2003. There's a 2003 Heroes Act. And in that, when there's a uh, some kind of like world changing emergency that gives the president power to discharge debt to people who have experienced incredible hardship. And so he's re- I mean, like this is what they did with, with all sorts of things, Such- but he's he's stretching those words in order to make this happen you know i mean it's such it's such crap though like i mean if we really like boil it down and read the constitution and read the federal play we're like that law just can't exist like it's just it's just a usurpation of did i say that word right of of our power as the people like we have no say in that we didn't know it was going on it, we could never because they just they over information us and they don't give us enough representation mm-hmm. right and that and that seeds all the power to the top um yeah, I, th- I think no one in Congress is going to fight back. And you know what? If the House changes, I think they'll probably won't fight back either because they know that it's going to be a tough, a tough battle, and they don't want to do with a tough battle. 
Well, and that brings me back or brings me to something else I saw today. Um, so Rick Scott is campaigning in Iowa. Did you see that? You told me about that. I, I, that's right. I told you about that. So, so he's campaigning for a House member in Iowa. And I'm thinking about what the purpose of the House and the, the Senate is. And the House is supposed to represent the people and the Senate is supposed to represent the states. And they're supposed to be a check on each other. So I'm wondering, why is it that they're working together so frequently? Do you it's know? Because, it's because they don't want to check each other. They just want to be the rubber stamp for whatever uh, their the party leadership their decides party. to do. Right. That's That's kind of scary, though, isn't it? That, you know, we have this, we have this very, uh, purposefully designed check and balance system and we have slowly seen it erode to the fact that people are just okay with it. Like he's out there campaigning for house members and nobody's questioning the fact that that is kind of unconstitutional. Like, yes, it's not explicitly written in the constitution, but if you look at the intent right? They're, they're supposed to work against each other. They're supposed to work for their interest, not the party's interest. Um, that puts power in too small of hands and power in too small of hands is what, what our founders were afraid of. Mm -hmm. Tyranny. <laughs> That's why they designed. That's right. Um, all right. So let's talk a little bit about tyranny in Florida. Have you, have you been paying attention to Florida? It's Ron DeSantis? Of, uh, yes. <laughs> so it's not really tyranny but he uh this week he had a was a, a rally and he said some things about uh, about fauci now i'll go ahead and say i'm not like a big fan of fauci right but i'm also like not trying to throw him into the potomac or whatever he said he's trying to do either um i just figure like don't pay attention to the guy and he'll go he'll go away like that's my philosophy on fauci um desantis thinks he's like like the czar of the world or something. He's like going hard at him. Um, and he said these things. Well, that's that because just, that's what politics has become. It's just, it's a punching bag, you know, it's who's the person that you're going to beat down. And Fauci's the one who's on the t cable TV networks, uh, given his ideas. And so he becomes an easy target and our politics has devolved into such that all you do is go up, you pick the easy targets and you just try to beat them down as, as much as possible. Well, yeah. And I, Look, I understand that's what politics is, but my question is, do we want it to be that way? I look at it from a father's perspective. I look at it from a parenting's perspective, and I go, my children are going to see that. If they don't see it now, they will see it in the future. This is how leadership behaves. Therefore, this is how other people are going to behave. Back to that power dynamic, adult, uh, child, government, people, the government shaped the people. And just like the parents shaped the children. And I don't want my children behaving like that. That was juvenile behavior. It is devoid of any type of leadership skills. And it's kind of sad that we, as a people, just go, well, he's better than the other guy. You know, and, and we just accept that, that that's okay. No, like, take your party hat off for a second and go, I want better leadership for my country. I want you to act like a, a, a decent human being, if we will. And and it's not to say that I would throw away and never support DeSantis for anything. I would say DeSantis has an opportunity to be forgiven. He acted like a fool, which I think we all have at points in time in our lives, right? Mm -hmm. And if he were to, if he would just to come out and say, and I know that they've they said recently we're in a post forgiveness world, but I disagree with that. If he would come out and say, be like, look, um, my rhetoric was 
it was wrong, but I disagree with his policies. This is why. This is what we're doing to, to have a better state. And then that's it. And you just move on from it. But if he's going to double down, like his hero, <laughs> his leadership goal, which is very clear that's who he's trying to emulate. Um, if he's going to double down, then it's like, well, we haven't really moved anywhere. We're still in the bad parenting section of leadership. And, and I don't want to be in that section. Yeah, and I forgive people for saying this is a post-forgiveness world. But I think... You know, the, if you can't forgive someone, if you can't be forgiven, then um, that there's no it's impossible to live with each other. And I would say no one really doesn't doesn't not want to. Live, everyone wants to live with other people um, because I think society is better when we, as much as you know, people are always talking about diversity and inclusion and bringing people together. I, you know, if you're gonna take that in the face value, then you you have to have in forgiveness as part of that because that's what's going to. Uh, be the grease for the the friction that we encounter with every day because um, you know if, if it isn't someone calling you an elf it's someone um, turning the thermostat up to 78 degrees in the house or turning the water heater down to zero and you, you know um, you don't know who it is but you know you just you can't uh, you, you can't get stuck with that you have to kind of move on forgive and forget and I think um, that's what's going to help us build better statesmen is if we can forgive people for perhaps past mistakes and we can be more charitable when we see mistakes. And, um, and, and I, you know, I think, especially with, with, with Dr. Fauci, like that was an unenviable position. Um, perhaps he made a lot of mistakes in how he carried himself throughout this and how he presented information. Um, and I think the more we go through this, the more things come to light with, with kind of him backtracking or, uh, sort of double talking around ideas with the vaccines and things. And that's, you know, that, hurts his credibility but that doesn't mean that you should call him names or say he should be thrown across the potomac because what you know what do you get with that other than cheers at a rally clicks on social media but that's just going to cool. further divide us and and um you know is, is against it everything that i think we try to t teach our children of uh being nice and kind right and and what was it wasn't uh it wasn't even the throwing him to the potomac or the elf thing that really caught me it was the he said that it was Fosse caused these kids damage, and I'm I'm I don't have the quote written down, so I might be slightly off here. Fosse's caused these kids damage, and and DeSantis basically said that he, they were going to take that as their reward. And I'm just thinking, did you just kids damage take that as their reward? What? How did that connect? Did that sound the way that I thought it sounded? Because <laughs> it sounded really bad, and nobody seemed to talk about this. <laughs> Yeah, that's actually I, I caught on that too because he talks about that everything that he was espousing has damaged our children, um, and I, you know you can obviously have decisions, just ideas about that. I think that a lot of that guidance did damage our kids, and then the second you're right, the second thing right after that he says we're going to take basically saying that we're going to take the damage that our children uh, received and use that uh, for political gain, which I think is so antithetical to uh, anything you would ever say. I mean, like it's if. If you're, you know, that's when a, a kid uh, loses their notebook or something and then someone else takes a notebook and steals the work and then doesn't give the, the notebook back to their to their friend. I mean, the word's kind of taking well, that, that causing we're creating more injustices um, based on previous injustice. Well, and and so yesterday in our meeting, remember, I asked everybody, I said, do you know what your representative's job is? Now, obviously, DeSantis is governor, but I said, do you know what everybody, your representative's job is? And the answers were fundraise to get reelected. And everybody's kind of laughing, but everybody had the same answers. Nobody had anything else. And 
I was like, you're kind of right, right? And he's telling you right there, he's going to take this as his reward so he can use it politically to win. Mm-hmm. He's, that's, all, that's all they care about. If you walk inside the political sphere, all they care about is winning. And they'll tell you straight to their face. And how do they win? With money. And so they really don't care about ideas or people or anything else or behavior or leadership. They're just like, if you can get people riled up enough to get them to vote from my side, you're my guy. That's the one I want. I just want to win. Let's go do it. Here's a blank check, right? Right, and he's <laughs> going to campaign on damage to children, but he's not going to campaign on what we can do to fix those kids. Uh, what we can, you know, right. if it's if it's fixing the school system, if it's setting safeguards in place so that should a pandemic ever happen again, we already know uh, we've got more better ideas on how to educate children. If we've got more options for parents, I mean, I think that's. Uh, that would be a more positive way to spin this instead of saying like, look how bad these kids are and we're just going to take that pain and ride it to the, uh, to, to victory. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of sad that we've devolved their public like that. It just, it, it's not even a thought. People are just okay with it. I always use the analogy of the, uh, the frog in boiling water. You know, if you, if you put a frog in boiling water, what's he going to do? He's going to jump out because it's hot, right? But if you put a frog in warm water or just, you know, cool temperature water and you slowly turn the heat up, he's going to boil to death because he's not going to notice his environment changing around him. And that's kind of what's happened to us, right? Um, it happened because of a lot of different reasons. And we talked about it at the meeting yesterday with uh, the gradual abridgment of our rights with capping the house and slowly taking away our representatives and our power and our ability to be heard as a people and then it shifted to this financial uh fundraising mechanism to now where it's just bad people in entertainment you know and um we really got to kind of get focused back in the right direction you know i feel like everybody else is desantis is just trying to distract us right from the real Mm -hmm. problems that are, are going on and we need to like we need to be reading Federalist number 70, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not worrying about throwing Fauci in the, in, the, in the water. Like if DeSantis is the real conservative hero that he wants or claims to be, then he should be the one, you know, checking federal power and saying, hey, you can't do this. Let's, let's go back to the Federalist Papers. Let's go back to our founders. Let's see what the purpose of the executive is, you know, as opposed to making these immature, childish rants so he can get reelected or so he can become president it's just it's it's frustrating yeah and if you look at some of the things they did in florida i think he that's a good example of what he did he he did try to push back and say that is executive overreach you know that's not there's no law about this and so we're going to try something different in florida Uh, and and in fact he had the backing of his legislature for a lot of these things um and he attempted to, to try something different to kind of experiment in his little labs of democracy um, and I, uh, one thing that, that after reading Federalist 70, I went back and I read, started rereading Federalist number one, and there's kind of this, this word of empire, um, in that. And it's kind of a jarring idea to think of a free country as an empire. But I, I think our founding fathers had this conception of sort of an empire of liberty. And, um, that is definitely, uh, a, uh, they contrast because we think of an empire as controlling and you think of liberty as freedom and being able to uh, do what you want. But I think that you can kind of take a, an agricultural, horticultural um, perspective on this. And if you think, like, if you ever had tomato plants, you know, if you just grow tomato plants 
they're just going to kind of sprawl everywhere and you're not really going to get a good yield and to actually have a successful tomato plant yield you kind of have to ha build these cages around that and i think our constitutional structure this idea of an executive and a legislature that um, check each other is part of that that horticultural aspect of of um, training and shaping a tomato plant in order to get the best yield and so i think if, if we kind of lose sight for what what our system of laws and government is about then we're gonna we're going to make these bad decisions but i think if we don't remember that having rules in place following those rules even if we don't perhaps agree with them if we don't agree with them using the mechanisms available to us to try to change them you know then we're going to be lawless and we're going to be that sprawling tomato plant that is is truly st stuck in the mud and not producing any fruit yeah exactly and and if you're going to have laws and rules, people need to understand them. They need to know the purpose of them, right? We need to teach that in our education system. We, our leaders should be talking about it, you know, like I just mentioned before. And, you know, back to what we were talking about with Rick Scott, right? And this is from a, uh, this is from a Madison letter to Jefferson um, on federal power and the public good. And he's just giving a, an overview of the Constitution that, he, that it's 10 days away from ratification at this point. And he says, the Senate will represent the states in their political capacity and the uh, the other house will represent the people of the states in their individual capacity, right? And we go back and we say, well, they're actually working together for the party's capacity right now, not for the people's or the states. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because we had rules in place to prevent this, but we, what do we do? We changed the rules and we changed in, in a right around the same time period, right? It was the, uh, I wrote it down here because I always get it confused. It's 16th, the 17th Amendment, mm -hmm. we, um, where we did direct, uh, direct elections of senators as opposed to through the states. And that took the power away from the states and to people, right, a certain group of people. And then we also capped the House right around that time period. And, and as you slowly made it, you know, uh, grew the population and you made that House smaller and smaller by comparison, um, they were able to be kind of manipulated away from the people because it's too hard to hear us. And now you've got these two bodies that just are for party endeavors, um, and we gotta we gotta talk about the real rules that we need to fix the the Seventeenth Amendment, uncapping the House, writing the Constitutional Amendment to fix that, and have focus in saying these this is why these rules were bad that we made. This is why we're changing them going forward, um, and this this will be the result over time, and you'll see like how things will get better. Think of it like. Uh, you take your car in to the mechanic and there's like a small problem with your transmission. And he's like, hey, if you fix this, um, you'll probably get like 50,000, 100,000 more miles out of your transmission. Or I don't know. I'm not a mechanic. Um, and But if you don't fix it, you got like 5,000 miles. Mm -hmm. the, things, it, the thing's going bad. That's kind of where we are with our rules right now. <laughs> you know, It's like we have some rules that are a little off. We need to talk about them um, and we need to get those fixed so we can have some a long time going forward <laughs> yeah and you're not to, talking about you're talking about we're i mean we're talking about structural rules of uh, right how structural the gets, rules. gets elected the size of the house of representatives not ticky-tack things like the filibuster because that's just an internal senate politics that um you know that that was for them to manage the idea that the senate has uh, unlimited debate and um honestly the party's probably put that in place in order to limit debate and to kind of control how that all worked. So it's it's not sort of the uh, me mechanics of how a bill comes to the floor of the House. It's really like, who makes up the House? Who makes up the Senate? Um, who are the ones that are going to 
eventually change those rules that people hate or dislike or fix them. Um, it's about like us as American citizens getting our voices heard so that our country can move into the to what are we, the twenty move into the twenty second century and, and beyond. <laughs> yeah, and and safely. Right, without tearing each other apart. And you mentioned that the, the the liberty but rules, I mean it's it's what? It's ordered liberty, as you would say. I mean, you can't have freedom without rules and you can't have rules without restricting freedom, right? It's a balance. It's both. It's both federal and national. Mm -hmm. It's both a compact among the states and the people, right? It's both. It's always both it's checks and balances we need to as a people we need to focus on the rules and how each one checks and balances each other as opposed to insulting each other's intelligence and throwing each other in the river you know we need to have serious adult conversations and not childish endeavors for rallies for winning you know mm -hmm. don't you think i agree yeah all right well that was a good episode john what do you think it was good I'll yeah. tune in. I'll tune in next time. <laughs> so um, we had our Madisonian, which is a real quick uh, wrap-up of our meeting yesterday, if you don't mind. Um, we we had our third Madisonian Republican meeting. Um, I felt it was really good. Um, I feel like we're getting our like feet underneath of us as group leaders is something I've never done before. I'm like completely out of my element the day of. I'm a nervous wreck. Afterwards, I am exhausted and can barely like keep my head up off the table at, at dinner last night because I was just it wipes me. It's just something I'm not comfortable with and it drains me both physically and emotionally to do. But I think yesterday was a big success. Um, we had what I would call a great conversation. We had a conversation about government. We had a conversation about power and we had a, a conversation about representation, about how governments role is to balance power and how it's the people's responsibility to balance that power through our representation and uh we had uh, uh candidates for office local running both on the republican and democratic ticket sitting in the same room having a civil discourse it was wonderful don't you think it was amazing i mean like i i've honestly never seen that and i wish i'd seen it more what uh what, what did you take away uh from the meeting the most um, I actually liked the discussion at the end. I mean, I, I liked us talking about representation, but I appreciated one of our focuses on, has been on reading more books, getting people to read books, on us reading more books. And um, as part of that was having people kind of report back on books they read. So uh, I got to talk about Team of Rivals, um, which is one of my new favorite books, um, sort of about the Lincoln's management style. Uh, we had talks about... Uh, now I'm blanking. We'll fix this. Oh, so a man's search for meaning. Man's search for meaning. Man. Um, yeah. But, you know, just the idea that, you know, that it's it's an opportunity for other people to kind of to do their own homework and to come back and report. And I think as this group progresses and we start getting more into policy discussions, this will be a really good starting point for, for all that. Yeah. Yeah. It was wonderful. I'm a, I'm a big reader. I love the fact that people are checking out my books and then bringing them back and they read them and they, and they talk about them. You know, I just, I love, I love it. It was, for me, it was inspirational to see that level of commitment from like fellow citizens in our country. That's just like, what does it mean to love your country? Like the tch, putting in the work for that. That's the, you know, there's nobody's getting paid. It's all volunteer work. Like mm -hmm. we're just doing it because we love the country and we want to like, provide a better one for our children right mm -hmm. so all right uh well that's the end of our show 
politics and parenting, we, we got a Substack. They should come and subscribe to our Substack. Uh, follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcast. Um, if you want to comment or share, that's always appreciated. It helps amplify things, get more people seeing it. Um, anything else to add there, John? No, I just again appreciate everyone taking their time. I appreciate people coming out to our meeting. Um, and you know, they could be anywhere in the world right now, but they, they decided to spend their Saturday afternoon with us. I know that was amazing. I appreciate it. All right. Peace and love. <laughs>